This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Let's take God's word. Go with me, if you would, please, to the Old Testament and to the book of Jonah and the third chapter, Jonah chapter number three. And I have enjoyed uh, going through this book on Sunday evenings with you. As I said, we're taking a slight change in direction here uh, this morning. And um, I want to uh, try to cover this book with you. We come to chapter number three. And uh, as we come to chapter number three, we find that Jonah has been, uh, he has escaped. (laughs) Actually, he's not escaped. He's been delivered from the belly of the whale. Notice in chapter two and verse 10, and the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. I, I don't know exactly how he spoke to the fish, but the Bible said he spoke to the fish, maybe an abdominal pain. Who knows how he spoke to him? But he spoke to him, and uh, the fish said, all right, Jonah, you're out of here. And uh, Jonah was cast onto the dry land. We come to chapter number three, and the Bible says, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. And he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse number three. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh. I want to speak to you on the subject. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the day that you've given to us. We thank you for the opportunity again to come into your word into your presence, and we pray that you would help us, that you would have our attention, that you would speak to us. 
and that we would respond to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says that Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. As we look at chapter number three, we have that thought in mind. We're going to look at four things. Number one, we're going to see the second call, the second call. uh, Secondly, we're going to see the sinful city. Thirdly, we're going to look at the simple cry. And then finally, the sinner's contrition. I want us to look first of all at the second call, the second call. The Bible says in verse number one, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Now, as we go back to the beginning of this book, we see in chapter one, in verse number one, the Bible says, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Here we find the initial call that God gave to Jonah concerning Uh, his mission to go to Nineveh. Uh, We see in verse number three, Jonah's response. Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So we understand that when this call was first issued to Jonah, that Jonah uh, did not respond in obedience to the call. In fact, Jonah ran away from the Lord. He ran from the presence of the Lord. He went in the opposite direction of Nineveh, down to Tarshish. He got on a boat trying to escape. And uh, as they got out into the sea, the Bible says that the Lord sent a great wind and a great storm upon the sea. And those sailors on board the ship, they immediately recognized this is no usual storm. In fact, this is a very unusual storm. They identified that this storm at its source was supernatural. They understood that this thing uh, that they were dealing with uh, was something that would cause them to appeal to a higher power. And so all the men on board the ship were told to cry out unto their gods. Now, they understood there was a supernatural cause to the storm. They just did not identify who uh, sent the storm, the true and the living God. Then they found Jonah asleep inside the ship, and they, uh, they caused him to wake up. And they said, hey, they called him a sleeper. They said, what meanest thou, O sleeper? Wake up, call out unto your God. And Jonah began to tell them, I know exactly why the storm has come. I am running from God. I've been disobedient to God, and God has sent the storm. And if you'll throw me overboard, then the storm will be still. And so eventually, that's what the sailors did. They cast Jonah overboard and into the sea. And as soon as they did that, uh, the Bible says that the storm was silenced and the waves were still. We see in chapter 1, in verse number 16, then the men, that's the sailors, and all on board, feared the Lord, that's Jehovah God, exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Here God revealed himself to these sailors through 
his disobedient servant that he was chastening. Now, Jonah, in verse number 17, is cast into the waters. The Bible tells us, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, in chapter number two, we have the record of the prayer that Jonah offered unto the Lord. And Jonah uh, is crying out to God for deliverance. And in verse number 10, uh, he is delivered. As he, as he finds himself now out of the belly of the whale, can you imagine the relief that he had? I'm out of there. Hallelujah. I'm out of this awful circumstance. And uh, now he's lying on the shore. He has been conditioned to hear the voice of God again. And not only has he been conditioned to hear the voice of God, but his heart has been changed in the midst of the belly of the whale. And now God speaks to him the second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh. Now God's uh, mission for him has not changed. Uh, the point that, that God wanted to make through the life and ministry of Jonah was still the same. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Now, here we have the second call. Jonah was disobedient to the first call, but now he is going to respond in obedience to the second call. He is the man that is going to carry the message of judgment to Nineveh. But not only is he carrying the message of judgment, he is also carrying a message of mercy. A message of mercy. And because Jonah now has experienced the mercy of God, he is ready to deliver the message of God's mercy. Uh, remember, Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh because he hated the people of Nineveh. They are the enemy, or they were the enemies of Israel. Uh, Nineveh was an Assyrian city, and the Assyrians were the enemies of Israel. And so he, he had no desire to go there. But now, having received mercy from God and deliverance from God, here is a man who embodied the message. Let me read from John Phillips, who says, As soon as Jonah recovered, he headed directly toward that Gentile city. Let's suppose someone struck up a conversation with him as he marched determinedly toward Nineveh. Let's also suppose that that person, having extracted from Jonah the secret of his mission, next asked the resolute prophet, aren't you afraid? In other words, aren't you afraid to go to Nineveh? He said, it may be dangerous. Jonah surely would have replied, dangerous to go to Nineveh in the will of God? Let me tell you, sir, it is far more dangerous not to go to Nineveh. It is far more dangerous to be out of the will of God, afraid to go. My dear sir, I'm afraid not to go. You see, those of us who have known the Lord and walked with the Lord and been disobedient and resistant to the Lord and have been uh, dealt with uh, by the Lord in chastening, we understand to be outside of the will of God is a dangerous place. And Jonah certainly understood that now. And as he comes, he is embodying this message of mercy. Phillips goes on to say, Jonah spoke with irresistible authority. Having been through death and burial, he was living in the power of resurrection life. He simply held up to Nineveh the ominous sand glass of 40 days 
and preached judgment to come. He offered no glimmer of hope except that which he himself evidenced. God had punished him. God had pardoned him. In that and that alone, the people of Nineveh saw a gleam of light. You see, the same Jonah that got on board the boat is not the same Jonah that was spewed out of the belly of the whale. He's a different man. He's a changed man. He has been the recipient of God's mercy, and now he is ready to communicate God's mercy to a condemned people. The commentators tell us that it is, it is very likely that Jonah's physical appearance was altered from his time in the belly of the whale. The gastric acids and juices of the whale perhaps bleached his skin and his hair, and so his, his visual, uh, visible countenance uh, certainly looked different. I don't know if that's true or not, but what I do know is, is that he's a changed man, inwardly and perhaps outwardly. And he is going to be an object lesson to the people of Nineveh that if you don't do what God tells you to do, you're going to find judgment. But if you will obey the Lord, you will receive mercy. And by the way, isn't Peter a great example of this? This opportunity to receive a second call. Uh, as we uh, this week w read through the gospel according to Mark, and we're in the 14th chapter and we just looked last week at the Passover, we're going to find in the very next portion of Scripture, the Lord will tell his disciples that as it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Peter, in his response to that statement by the Lord, he says, Lord, I, I'm ready to follow you. And all the disciples said, we're ready to follow you to death. And then the Lord said, you will all forsake me. And Peter said, though all men forsake you, I will not forsake you. Confident Peter. Uh, resting upon his own self-abilities, his self-reliance, says, wait a minute, I, I'm not going to forsake. The rest of these guys may, but I'm not going to forsake you. And the Lord says, Peter, not only will you forsake me, you will deny me three times before the cock crows twice. And that's exactly what Peter did. He denied the Lord. They asked him, aren't you one of his disciples? He said, no. In fact, one of the times in his effort to deny the Lord, he, he, he even used language that he shouldn't have used. He cursed to try to disassociate himself. He was so gripped with fear of what was going to happen uh, to him. He denied the Lord. Now, when we find Peter again, of course, we know after the resurrection of Christ, the Lord says, go tell the disciples and Peter that I'm alive. And then we find Peter later on after the resurrection fishing. And the Lord appears to him. And the Lord asks him a question. Three times he asks the same question. Peter, lovest thou me? Do you love me, Peter? And Peter was grieved in his heart, answering each time, yes, Lord. Finally, he said, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And the Lord's response all three times was this, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter, uh, I'm going to give you a second opportunity. <laughs> I'm going to give you another opportunity. Uh, although you denied me, uh, I want you to know I still love you, and I still have a plan. I still have a purpose. I still have a calling for your life. Aren't you glad for God's mercy and grace upon the life of Peter? And aren't you glad for God's mercy and grace in your life? 
How many times has the Lord spoken to us to do something, to obey him, and we have refused, oftentimes going the other way, only to encounter the the chastening hand of God, but yet to find that God is still merciful and God still desires to use us. This is what happened in the life of Jonah. And when he received the second call, he arose and he went. We see, secondly, the sinful city. The sinful city. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Nineveh, as I said a moment ago, was an Assyrian city. And it was a great city. There was a great population of people in Nineveh. In fact, we're told that it would take someone walking through the city on foot three days to walk through the city, three days' journey. And so we find that to walk through this city, and that's what Jonah did, he was preaching the message that God had told him to proclaim. And he was preaching it to this sinful city. Now, this is not a city that he was naturally drawn to. In other words, Jonah didn't say, I'm going to tell you, if I can serve the Lord, I'm going to go to Nineveh. But those are the kind of conditions oftentimes we give the Lord, right? Well, I, I want to do this with my life, and, and I'd like to go here, and, and I'd like to get to do this. But God is not interested in us telling him what we want. He is interested in us listening to what he wants. And so the Lord says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, wait a minute, those are our enemies. Those are the enemies of our people. They have done great harm. They are violent, wicked people. In fact, they were a very wicked people. They were an idolatrous people. They were an immoral people. And they were a cruel and unusually violent people. By the way, do you know that in the end time, the Lord said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man? And do you know what marked the end, the days of Noah? Twice the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 6 that when God looked upon the earth, he saw that the earth was corrupt and was filled with violence. Twice God tells us that. Uh, There's a special characteristic of violence in these last days that he's warning us of. And by the way, can you believe what you're seeing take place on the streets of American cities? To think that leaders would turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to what is happening as the murder rate in our nation has increased by over a third. Innocent people are being killed. Bullies are roaming the streets with weapons. The news media will not report the truth. We live in a violent, wicked time. And that's exactly the condition of Nineveh, a sinful city. You say, what's the answer? Well, God had the answer. He had the answer then, and he has the answer today. And so let's see it. The third thing, the simple cry. The simple cry. Notice the message that Jonah delivered. Look in verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, yet, 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the simple cry. 
Now, if, if I'm walking alongside Jonah and uh, we're heading to Nineveh and he's telling me what, what he's going to do, I might say, well, uh, Jonah, what do you intend to say? Well, this is what the Lord told me. Yet, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Then we might be tempted to say to Jonah, now, Jonah, think about that message. You're going to go into enemy territory and you're going to say, yet 40 days and none of us shall be overthrown. Don't you think maybe you need to tone that down? Don't you think maybe you need to soften the edges of that? Maybe make it a little more appealing. You know, maybe get to know the Ninevites first and then find out what it is that they want to hear and then sort of model and craft the message so that it's more appealing to them. By the way, that's the philosophy today, isn't it? And the Bible tells us that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, deceiving and being deceived. You see, uh, there is an appetite that this world has, and, and they want to hear certain things. In fact, in the Old Testament, the Bible says that the people of God, they said, hey, to the prophets, tell us lies. We, we don't want to hear the truth. We want you to tell us what we want to hear. And they said, I love to have it so. That's the age we live in. People want to hear lies. They don't want to hear the truth. They won't even recognize the truth. They won't even respond to the truth when you give them the truth. But yet, if we're going to truly deliver the message that God wants to deliver, we must proclaim the truth. And so Jonah uh, was not free to deliver any message that he wanted to deliver. He couldn't say what he wanted to say. He couldn't say what the people wanted to hear. Because God had commissioned and called him to deliver the message that God intended for the people to hear. And by the way, that is the work of the church today. To faithfully proclaim the message that God has given to us. And it's really a quite simple message. It involves three things. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel. And we are to deliver the gospel. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 17, he said, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, the Corinthian church was divided by personality. Some said, I'm of Paul. The others said, I'm of Apollos. And they were, they were debating and, and fighting over who baptized them and identifying in groups, and how foolish that is. He said, I want you to know what God sent me to do. He sent me to preach the gospel. And notice how he's to preach it. He said, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. You see, in an effort to appeal to the world and tickle the ears of the hearers of this world, we can minimize the impact and the power of the cross. He said, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, and they will always consider it to be foolish. He said, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. 
Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? You see, the world in its wisdom says, that simple message is not going to be effective. But that simple message is the message that has transformed our lives. That simple message is the message that we hold on to when we hear the news concerning the loss of a loved one or perhaps an illness that may end our life. That is the message that has transformed us and delivered us from the bondage of sin and secured our eternal destiny in heaven. It is a simple message, but it is a powerful message. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1 Paul said, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. You don't see many pastors who want to come in weakness and fear and in much trembling. You don't see many Christians who want to go out into the world in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. People say, well, that's not, the, that's not the kind of message you want to portray. Well, how do you imagine Jonah walked into uh, Nineveh? Riding high? No. No. He was a changed man. He was a humble man. He was a broken man. He was, as Paul, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And he goes on to say this, Paul, and my speech and my preaching, it was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, I don't need to prop up the message of the gospel with the wisdom of this world to try to help God out. I just simply need to proclaim what God wants spoken and i need to trust that the gospel is the power of god unto all who believes and so he came with this simple cry 40 days and nineveh shall be overthrown paul spoke of this in colossians 1 and verse 28 that the ministry of the church and the message of the gospel he said we preach christ warning every man warning them of what the impending judgment that is coming now the good news for them if they hear the gospel is that jesus has taken their judgment for them and if they'll receive him by faith they won't face judgment the simple cry that's all he commanded him to proclaim that's what he's commanded us to proclaim the message of the gospel, and may God help us to be faithful. Then we look at a fourth thing, the sinner's contrition. We see the second call, the sinful city, the simple cry. But then lastly, we see the sinner's contrition. Notice verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least. We see that God did a work in Nineveh, an amazing work. And not only were just a few saved, 
<laughs> Not only did just a few repent, but the Bible tells us the entire city repented and turned to God. In fact, the king himself rose from his throne, cast off his royal robes, and began to humble himself in fastings and in prayers, in sackcloth and ashes, and he issued a directive to all the residents of the city that all of them fast and repent and turn to God. Oh, can you imagine if that happened in North Carolina? Can you imagine if that were to happen in the United States of America? That would be something, wouldn't it? You see, the only way it's going to happen is if the message is communicated. How shall they believe if they have not heard, Paul said? And how shall they hear except they have a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And I want to tell you that God has sent us, the church, into this world to proclaim the message of the gospel. Now, notice what happens. When they hear it, they believed. I just have to imagine that maybe Jonah was shocked. He couldn't believe it. These hardened, wicked people, these ruthless, barbaric people who, who invented ways to torture their enemies, who knew no boundaries in inflicting that torture, who didn't seem to have a conscience when they heard the message of judgment and warning, they believed God. The Bible tells us that in Genesis 15 that Abraham, when he heard God, believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. The Philippian jailer asked Paul, how am I to be saved? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Acts 16, 31, and they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You see, you can't be saved unless you believe. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Faith is believing God, trusting God through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, when the message comes and I respond in my heart through faith and belief, then I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and I call upon the name of the Lord. They believed. They believed. Not only do we see here belief, but secondly, we see repentance. Here we see an outward manifestation of an inward work that God had begun to do in their lives. God had confronted them with their sin. They had responded to God in contrition, uh, believing the message of the gospel. Notice in verse 6, for the word came into the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him. Now, here's the king with his royal robes, and he is humbling himself here. This is an act of contrition. This is an act of humility. He is laying his robe from him. All that he thought he was, 
all that people thought he was. He said, I am forsaking this. I am confessing to you who I really am. I'm a sinner and I'm condemned. And he covered him with sackcloth and set in ashes and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Here's what they did. They repented. They humbled themselves. They put on sackcloth, old dirty rags, uh, made of materials that were used for grain. They got down in the ash and the dirt. They would not eat. And they cried out to God, seeking God's forgiveness. They repented. You see, when we understand that our sin is an offense to a holy God, and when we understand the judgment that we deserve, we'll have no trouble to repent. None. James said, faith without works is dead. And there was a work that their faith, their belief produced. It was the work of repentance. And then I want you to notice here, as we think of their contrition, we see belief, we see repentance, and then finally we see mercy. What a glorious God. Notice in verse 10, and God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he said that he would do unto them and he did it not. Now I want you to understand that God is not a man who needs to repent. God is immutable. He's unchanging. But this means that God responded to their response to him. They were under the sentence of death and destruction. And God in mercy, gave them an opportunity to turn to him. And they took it. By the way, he gave me that opportunity. And as a seven-year-old boy, confronted with the truth that I was a sinner, without Jesus, on my way to hell, I bowed to him and I called upon him and I confessed my sin and he saved me. You see, I was under the sentence of death but when I responded to his offer of grace, he responded to me and he removed the sentence of death and he placed on me the righteous record of Jesus. God responds to repentant people and he responds to this evil, wicked nation even if his servant, Jonah, didn't like it. He said in Jeremiah 18 in verse 8, if that nation against whom I have pronounced evil turn from their evil, 
I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. In other words, I will respond to them in grace and mercy. I will forgive them. I will remove the condemnation from them, and I will bestow my grace upon them. James Montgomery Boyce wrote, God does not change, but he gives warnings so that men will have an opportunity to change. His immutable holiness demands that sin be punished. His equally immutable love and justice demand that the repentant sinner be forgiven. You see, the same qualities and characteristics of God that demand judgment also demand mercy when you and I respond to him. This is the message that we have to carry. This is the message that this church must deliver to a lost and dying world. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.